Good afternoon. Good evening. You're on equal footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. Happy Purim to those who are celebrating. We're going to get into adult subject matter tonight. So just a little bit of a caveat and warning to listeners. We're going to be talking about addiction in specific sexual addiction and in more specific, uh, more specifically pornography addiction. This is a uh, a serious issue in our communities, uh, often something that's not discussed openly. There's a great book by Patrick Cairns about coming out of the shadows, entitled Out of the Shadows, and that's what we're going to try to do tonight is help bring this issue out of the shadows. I'm joined by a couple of great guests tonight talking about this new drug, so to speak, this chemical addiction that out to pornography. It's, it's, it's real. It's often misunderstood. It's probably the most misunderstood addiction. I am joined this evening by Garrett Johnson and Dr. Debbie Ackerman. Dr. Ackerman is a licensed clinical social worker, many years of experience in private practice, specializing in addiction recovery, trauma and family and marriage work. She has her master's in social work from the Wurzweiler School of Social Work, Yeshiva University, and her doctorate in social welfare from Yeshiva University as well, uh, where she's a professor. She's also a public speaker, educating and speaking to various communities and professionals on addiction, resilience, and also the cultural appropriateness of the treatment and approach to these areas in different communities. Dr. Ackerman comes from the Orthodox Jewish community and brings a perspective that's important in that regard. She combines professional knowledge and research with personal life experiences uh, around this issue and is also a mother of 11 and a grandmother of 19 uh, dr. Ackerman I hope I I hope I got that I hope I got that right <laughs> thank you. you you got it great thank you very much thank you for having me very happy to be here what an amazing bio and and, and uh, purim sameach to you uh, dr. Ackerman purim sameach to you. thank you Garrett, what a pleasure to have you on this evening. You are a hero uh, to me. I think to many, you're a courageous man who has stepped forward into the light and has uh, oriented your life around bringing awareness and fighting this new drug of, of porn addiction. Uh, let's talk about, for a moment, let's introduce Fight the New Drug, which is the organization you've been involved in for a number of years and you're representative of. It's a non-religious and non-legislative organization. It exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make an informed decision regarding pornography by raising awareness on its harmful effects, and it uses science, facts, and personal accounts. Fight the New Drug has been trusted by over 500 schools from around the world, and their presentations have reached almost a million people at this point. There's over 6 million followers of Fight the new drug across various social media platforms. And amazingly, Garrett, you've, you've really made this a personal mission that so many people have gotten on board with because of the way that you do it. You've run 30 marathons in 30 days. Uh, you've run marathons with handcuffs on to represent the addictive component of uh, pornography. You've ridden across your bicycle across the United States. Um, you've run 100 miles without stopping. Uh, just all of these things to bring awareness to this uh, issue of pornography addiction and you're also happily married you have three kids you live in the salt lake city area and uh and i'm really grateful you got in the program because i think you're as soon as this program is over you're going to be off to to go skiing which i'm i'm jealous of so garrett welcome to uh, welcome to equal footing thank you we're excited to be here and we appreciate the opportunity so Garrett and Dr. Ackerman, let, let's get started by defining, I think a lot of people don't know how to define 
the the you know whether it's sex addiction versus a very active sexual life or the enjoyment of pornography the use of pornography in a setting that that could be appropriate and non non compulsive with addictive behavior dr ackerman can you start us off by defining what sexual addiction is in general and what pornography addiction is in specific sure my pleasure thank you um Addiction is, is a very uh, widely, misunderstood, widely misunderstood and stigmatized term. And basically when you are addicted to anything, whether it's to food or to pornography or to alcohol or, or to a substance, a chemical or a behavior, that behavior takes over your life. There's no off button. And when we do assessments, either in private practice or in agencies, what we do is we look for how much of that behavior is interfering with your life. Are you having problems with your relationships? Are you having problems at work? Are you having financial difficulties? Are you in legal trouble? Mm-hmm. And if you can answer yes to one or more of those criteria, then we know that this has gone from a behavior that you can do in the comfort of home or not with your spouse, not with your friends, not, to something that is now out of control in your brain's reward system. Sex addiction is what we call a behavioral addiction, which means you're not ingesting a chemical, you're not taking marijuana, you're not taking opiates, you're not uh, consuming alcohol, but you are doing a behavior that fires off your brain's reward system in a maladaptive way, and it has the same effect as a chemical addiction. Pornography is one type of sex addiction. And I think that's how I would kind of start this off. So, so Garrett, to to riff off of what Dr. Ackerman is saying, is, is it in a lay, in layman speak, is it when the 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 porn controls you as opposed to you effect effect controlling or using the porn in in a healthy way? If you don't have a legal issue that's come from it, a financial issue that's come from it, it's you know it, how do you how do you identify it at a more subtle level? I think that. Uh a way to look at or define addiction a simple way. It's been said before. I didn't come up with it, but it's that if you are engaging in something chronically and compulsively, then that can be considered, you know, an addiction. And I kind of define compulsivity in the sense that your urge to resist said behavior or substance um, isn't strong enough. The, your, your will to resist or your urge to resist isn't strong enough, and the you, you cave into that behavior uh, despite not wanting to engage with it. And one of the things that makes this form of addiction so difficult, as I understand it, is the expo- the the point in people's lives in which they're exposed to it is often earlier than it with respect to alcohol and drugs these days. And so parents struggle, for example, as to you know when to intervene and how to talk about it. Garrett, do you want to share with us a little bit your your exposure to and and your kind of process of be, of this becoming an addiction in your life? Yeah, I, so I, I want to preface this by saying that there's the Mayo Clinic, that nonprofit here in the United States, and under listed under compulsive sexual behavior, they say there's two risk factors for developing compulsive sexual behavior. The two risk factors are um, ease of access and privacy. And so before, so I wanted to say that before I dive into my personal account. Um, I, was, I was exposed to pornography at a young age, probably around five, and uh, I think that, like a lot of, um, I'm a heterosexual male, 
and like a lot of heterosexual males, when they're when they're exposed to pornography throughout their adolescence, they're going to seek it out as much as possible. And to contextualize this a little bit, I'm currently, you know, I was born in the the mid '80s, and so that gives you an idea of kind of when technology was developing in my age. And I, I'd say in like 2007, when the first version of the smartphone came out, and at that that same time there was the um, tube sites, like free tube sites became a thing. Mm -hmm. And between 2007 and 2016 is when my behavior really developed into what I consider a compulsive behavior uh, around pornography consumption. And at what point did you realize that you were addicted and where did you go for help? Um, So in 2010... I, I was married. I got married in 2010, and um, I did not disclose my pornography consumption to my wife. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2016, so through six years of marriage, I was doing this behind her back. So I introduced deceit into the relationship. And in 2016, I fortunately heard a presentation by Fight the New Drug, and it was the first time in my life that I'd had a discussion about this. Um, that was non-religious and non-legislative, and um, it was it resonated with me. And from there, I really did. I felt empowered. I felt like the education alone of knowing they kind of they they often say name it to tame it, mm-hmm. and I believe that's kind of what happened with me. Is once I identified what it was and why it was that way, I was really able to tame it. Right, the the the, the first step in in recovery, Doctor Ackerman. Talk to us a little bit about the way that this is misunderstood as and as addiction as an addiction. The it, it seems that people struggle to uh, really classify pornography addiction or perhaps sexual addiction in general in the same category as chemical addictions like uh, addiction to, to alcohol or, or drugs. Okay, that's an excellent point. Before I dive into that, I want to give you kind of a statistic that may help you. Uh, there was a study that was done in Australia in 2017. A cross-section of Australians aged 15 to 29 reported that 69% of males and 23% of females had viewed porn at the age of 13 or younger. Wow. Just to give you kind of like, right. And uh, from the book, Patrick Carnes' book, he uses SAFE as to how you can tell whether sex addiction is an addiction. And that SAFE stands for Secret Abusive Feelings and Empty. And this comes from Out of the Shadows, which I, I highly recommend. I think it's a great book. Yes. So is it a secret? Anything that can't pass public is going to create um, a shame, right? Is it abusive to yourself or others? Anything that's exploitive or harmful to someone else or degrades someone else is going to activate your addictive process. Is it used to avoid a source of painful feelings? That's really kind of the number one indicator of this, uh, an addiction. Are you using it to cope? Are you using it to numb your own feelings? And mm-hmm. finally, is it empty of a caring, committed relationship? Mm-hmm. And are so, they, is that is uh, part, and I, I'd like you to get into kind of the chemical dependency yes. element, but sorry to interrupt you, but is, is that safe methodology using that uh, that acronym and that approach that uh, that Patrick Kearns put, puts forward applicable to all addictions or specifically to sexual addiction? So I think this one is applicable to sex addiction. That's why I brought it up. When we talk about chemical addiction, there are all sorts of diagnostic tools that practitioners can use. One of them, for example, is called CAGE. 
Right. CAGE stands for have you ever tried to cut down on your drinking or drug use? Has anybody in your family ever become angry at your drinking or drug use? Have you ever felt guilty about your drinking or drug use? And finally, E is do you need an eye-opener? Now, the eye-opener question is where we draw the line between are you abusing or are you actually physically dependent? You have to wake up in the morning and drink vodka in order to clear your head and stop the shaking in your hands. That's a very simple four question that any practitioner can ask a client and the same thing here with safe for a sexual compulsivity okay what i kind of wanted to say yeah i'm sorry did you have another question yeah just i want to get into this is it is it a chemical addiction in the way that addiction to drugs and alcohol is yes yes so pretty basically, I'll just give you the 30-second, right? Uh, the brain is the most marvelous organ that we have. It controls every single thing that we do. And millions and millions and billions of messages pass to the brain at every given minute. These messages are carried by something called neurotransmitters, and it, they're in the little synapses of your brain. You cannot do a behavior, you cannot take a drug or take a drink that gives you a chemical that the brain doesn't already produce. We produce everything. When you do anything that's addictive, you dump a huge amount of that chemical into your brain. Sex dumps a huge amount of dopamine into your brain. But isn't that also healthy? I mean, the the the, the, the sexual high or the dopamine that comes from sexual activity, it's not, that's not an intrinsically yes, bad thing. A hundred percent it does. And if, and if addiction was only about biology, it would be a much easier process. Mm-hmm. If we looked at addiction the way we look at kidney disease or diabetes, well, I'd be out of a business, and that would be kind of sad, but we would also have much more understanding, and that would be good. Uh, back in 1935, a man named Dr. Silkworth talked about the disease of alcoholism, and he talked about people that were simply allergic to alcohol, but their bodies could not metabolize or process alcohol in the way that other people could. And it's the same thing with a behavioral addiction, with a sexual addiction, with gambling, with eating to the point of weighing 700, 600 pounds, right? Interestingly enough, sex addiction and eating kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. because those are both drives that you're born with. Right. They're drives to live. You need to eat. You need to have sex. They're both drives that human beings have as opposed to putting a substance inside your body. Right, and, be, and of course, when, it, you, when brought to an extreme, it becomes a coping mechanism and, and, a, and a chemical. Correct. Uh, yeah, so it uh, floods your brain. It really goes to the same place as the brain is cocaine. Right? right? And so your brain is flooded with all of these chemicals. People don't want to be sex addicts, much like they don't want to be alcoholics, they don't want to be addicted to meth, they don't want to be addicted to heroin. They don't feel well. And, and I'm sure Garrett can explain to us, when people start to withdraw from their sex addiction, they start to feel withdrawal symptoms, perhaps not the physiologic symptoms that you get from a chemical withdrawal, but they're irritable, they're depressed, they can't sleep. There is a withdrawal pattern that happens because the level of chemical is going down in the brain. It's so important for it to understand this is, is a real addiction. There, there's a, a ton of 100%. research on, on this. The, the, like, like Dr. Ackerman just discussed, uh, the, the way that the brain is affected 
when it's dependent on on a, a drug like cocaine is similar to the way the brain is dependent on a coping mechanism that's out of control, uh, like right. as in sexual and porn addiction. We're going to be right back on equal footing with my guests, Dr. Debbie Ackerman and Garrett Johnson, uh, who are advocates around recovery and uh, and the importance of tackling sexual and porn addiction in in particular. The number to call in and participate is seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's seven one eight three zero If you're shy about being on the air, remember you can call in and be anonymous. You don't have to say your name. And you can also text a question to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere on the planet. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or your inventory if you're a dealer through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. For more information, call 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. You can also visit Mechanical Art capital.com at mechanical art capital capital funds are wired to you quickly discreetly a couple business days or less and your watches are stored in a secure location a safety deposit box in manhattan new york at a nationally recognized bank and you can have your watches back as soon as you're ready and you repay the financing safe and simple contact mechanical art capital at 833-209-0972 Right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman. I'm here with my guests, Garrett Johnson and Dr. Debbie Ackerman. We're talking about porn addiction, the new drug. It's a, it is an addiction often misunderstood. Dr. Ackerman, in our, one of our pregames, told, called it the most misunderstood addiction. I am told by our engineers that we've had an issue with the online link during part of the first segment. Please be patient uh, if you're if you're online. And again, this is available afterwards uh, on a on a recorded basis as well. And of course, we're we're out there on the radio. Dr. Ackerman, yeah, before you can call the, me Deb. Thank you. Oh, okay, Debbie. Thank you. Uh, I feel like we're friends. Yeah, yeah it's we, we, when you talk about these um, difficult and intimate <laughs> subject matters. Yeah, the subject matter. So, Debbie, you and, and Garrett, as I understand it, come from different kind of religious contexts. And uh, Garrett, you you described yourself in one of our pregames as I think agnostic. Is that is that an accurate kind of moniker? Yeah, I'm always trying to learn more, and. Um, I don't, I feel like uh, where I'm at now is just a level of uncertainty, um, but I'm also I'm also aware that where I'm at, I'm not certain that where I'm at is the right place. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. And and actually, before we go, Dr. Ackerman, or Debbie, sorry, you, you obviously look at this from also a religious perspective and work in that community. Yeah. 
But before we go there, Garrett, I, I keyed in on when you were talking about discovering Fight the New Drug, this, this wonderful organization that helps people identify and recover from sexual and porn addiction. You uh, mentioned that it was, it's non-religious, and it was the first time you had heard something around this issue that spoke to you that was non-religious and non-legislative. How important was that for it to penetrate for you, and did you have folks coming at you from a religious context kind of ineffectively before that? Um, it was really important for me to hear it from that perspective because um, showing the science and the facts and the research and the personal accounts and opening that discussion in a healthy way helped me know that it was okay, that I wasn't alone, that um, I, I think it helped me um, move out of isolation and and uh, away from deceit that I had introduced into the relationship with my spouse. And and it's interesting how we each need to be approached differently and individually, particularly when it comes to addiction, uh, to, to get out of that, that cycle. Debbie, how important is the religious context to the work that you do with your, with your clients or your patients? Um, I love that question. How much time do we have? So um, my, my dissertation centered on addiction in the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, so I spent uh, this topic, and I really kind of thought to myself long and hard that um, a community that I'm really proud to be a part of, which has so many wonderful um, organizations to help so many different uh, types of people, has such an incredible amount of stigma around addiction. And so I did look at this from a religious lens, from a cultural lens. And what I, what I came to understand is because of how our religion uh, looks, because we are really supposed to elevate everything we do from the physical into the spiritual, and I have an entire chapter on this in my dissertation, that the idea of addiction, when people don't understand what addiction is, people look like they're just out of control, right? So stop eating that burger. Okay, you want to be a sex addict? Great. Where do I sign up? It sounds amazing. But the religion says no. And that had to do with drinking, and it had to do with drug abuse, and it had to do with sex, and it had to do with eating, and with all these behaviors. And so I really wanted to bring a tremendous amount of education and awareness. The cultural piece is pivotal, because I do understand the religion, because I do understand the constraints of the religion, because I understand the philosophy of the religion. I'm able to take it and weave it into my work. I can talk to people about uh, the Hebrew word called taiva, which is desire. This isn't a desire. Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing. I desire a piece of chocolate cake. If I eat three chocolate cakes, it's no longer desire. That's a reward system that's gone haywire. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, you know, to play the devil's advocate, it's often, when it comes to addiction, and not just sexual addiction, but other forms of chemical addiction, there's a, I think, a layman's perspective that in traditional and religious communities, not just the Jewish community, but in general within traditional religious communities, they, it's harder to to come out about the issue, to get out of the shadows and to get to get help and get treatment, and which impacts mental health. Is that a stylized, well, it is a stylized view, but is it is that correct in your estimation? Yeah, it's, it's an empirical view. Uh, when it came to chemical addiction, the, the literature would show you a few things. It's going to show you, number one, that uh, Jews are completely underrepresented in the literature when it comes to chemical addiction. It was one of the limitations of my study, that I actually couldn't find enough articles to write about the Orthodox Jewish population and chemical addiction. It's like it doesn't exist. We have no issue. Well, we know statistically our numbers are exactly the same as the general population, right? That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, in my dissertation... Which means there are people in the shadows. 
Uh, they're it in the shadows be. all the time, and yeah. they're the people that are weaving home from from synagogue every Saturday, and their family is trying to cover it up. And uh, and the literature will also show you that people in our community don't seek treatment until years later than their non-Jewish counterparts. At which point they're going to pricey rehabs because outpatient treatment isn't working. The families have been suffering. The people that have the disease have been suffering. Their children have been suffering, and we get to this really crisis proportion. Um, the person that introduced me to you tonight, uh, Rahama Clapman of Mask, she's helped over 110,000 families in 25 years deal with mental health issues and addictions, even from elementary and middle school on. If you're seeing something with your child, start them immediately on treatment. This is a disease that can be mitigated and that can be helped. That's the saddest part. And the other piece that I just wanted to add to you is the biggest piece of um data that came from my dissertation I thought was the most important. I interviewed administrators of mental health clinics across America that deal primarily with uh, the Jewish and Orthodox Jewish population. And 75% of the administrators that I interviewed readily admitted that their clinicians did not know how to treat or diagnose addiction. And that's the problem. Yeah. Because that means that the people sitting in front of you, you don't know how to do that simple cage assessment. You don't know how to do that simple safe assessment from Patrick Carnes. You don't know the questions to ask to even get the person on the road for treatment. If you don't want to treat addiction, that's completely fine. But understand how to do a simple assessment so that you can get that person into treatment. And Garrett, I think that's imperative. Garrett, t- tell us, do you, do you find the same type of difficulties or different difficulties with fight the new drug in terms of allowing people to go from kind of being in the shadows to coming out and getting out of that cycle of deceit with themselves with loved ones and acknowledging that they have a problem what are are the challenges that that you face in your work are they different than than debbie's self-disclosure is important if i think about carl rogers and the humanistic perspective um he talked about how genuineness and acceptance and empathy are important in developing a person. And if a person wants to reach their best, the best version of themselves, they need those things. Now, it is difficult when you're talking about this to find someone. Um, I guess I guess it's not difficult to find someone, but it's the important thing to do is to find someone that you can trust and go through some self dis- self disclosure and increase that openness. And um, we at fight the new drug. We have a fighter pledge, and it's um, a, a range of attributes that we encourage our fighters from around the world to incorporate, and some of those are understanding, um, accepting, um, encouraging, um, being real, and and we try to incorporate those, whether you're the person that is in self-disclosure, that you're experiencing this challenge, or if you're the partner or caregiver of someone that's talking to you, it's important to incorporate these attributes now i heard the the safe methodology that was you that's used by patrick cairns i heard the 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 cage methodology these ideas of is it a secret is it it, what you're doing abusive to yourself or someone else are you avoiding your feelings by by uh by what you're engaging in is it is it is there an emptiness to it and i think they're speaking I, i i imagine for others a lot of the answers to that in my own personal journey would be maybe (laughs) <laughs> I need help. I'm not sure. I mean, I've certainly consumed pornography in my life. How do I know 
Um, if it's been addictive, I would say it's probably been a coping mechanism at times when I feel alone or disconnected to that part of my life, uh, or I'm trying to ignore another issue, but it hasn't been chronic. It hasn't been something that, that, um, that has been throughout my life. And so how do you know, Dr. Ackerman, Debbie, sorry, uh, how do you know, Debbie, if really at that very subtle level, if, if, if it's that level of problem, does it have to graduate into losing a job? having a financial problem, having a, a legal uh, issue, or should I just see a therapist if I have a question, if, if I'm not sure? You know, it's another great question. It, it doesn't have to. And the reality is, is there are more individuals that are what we call functional addicts than you would ever even imagine. Um, they're your doctors, they're your dentists, they're your airline pilots for a wonderful thought to keep you awake tonight when you go to sleep. Uh, and there are people who function very, very well with their addiction. Addiction is on a continuum. And there are people who have addictive behaviors, but they're still managing and they're doing okay. Should they seek treatment? Probably, because addiction at the end of the day is going to be harmful one way or the other, physically and emotionally. But if you kind of dig deep in your life, if you're, let's just say you're the client, you're saying yeah, everything's okay. And like, what if I talk to your wife? Mm-hmm. What if your wife says, no, he's, he's really not there. I right. haven't felt him emotionally be there in years. Sex with him is a disaster. His mind is elsewhere. Uh, I, I feel like a hooker. I feel like he should just leave me 20 bucks on the nightstand. He yells. He has an explosive temper. He disappears for hours. He doesn't answer my phones. The credit card bill is through the roof. I don't even know what's on it. You know, you start to kind of scratch the surface. Mm-hmm. It's not all, you know, roses and, and bubble gum in paradise. There's, there's problems. So it's not, so it's not really something that conduces to self-diagnosis. You, you have to get a 360 no, denial, view. Denial of addiction is the number one determinant that it's addiction. And if you can allow me to give you a 30-second blurb in memory of the great uh, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky, who wrote the best book on addiction I've ever read called Addictive Thinking, he talks about uh, one client that he had early on in his career. And the client, Garrett, you're going to love this one. The client was consuming a half a case of beer a night, right? And he started to have some physical issues. And so in his mind, he said he's drinking too much liquid. So he stopped drinking a half a case of beer and he switched to scotch and soda. And he still was having some problems. So he said, oh, it must be the soda. So he switched to whiskey and water, and he was still having stomach problems. So he's like, no problem. So he just started downing straight whiskey. So what we're talking about, for those who have, who, those who have just joined, because I, I know we had some technical difficulties on the online side, is this concept of the new drug. It's porn addiction more specifically in general, under the umbrella of sexual addiction. It's a terribly misunderstood addiction. We've been talking here with Dr. Debbie Ackerman, who is a professor at Yeshiva University and a specialist and expert in addiction recovery. Garrett Johnson, who's a representative of Fight the New Drug, a non-religious, non-legislative organization that works on bringing awareness and healing in this in this area and is also a former addict. You can participate in this conversation by calling 718-303-9090, or you can can text a question if you're shy about being on the air at 917-428-4062. I'm going to take, uh, I want to do one more question before our next break for you, Garrett. Uh, out of this conversation is, for me, has come the concept that we're talking really about a spectrum. Uh, it, just like with addiction to alcohol, for example, people are at different points of not only the, the recognition process, but the addiction, uh, the level of, of um of destruction, I guess, in, in their lives. We talked about the need for a 360-degree view. Where does sexual addiction, sex addiction in general, and porn addiction fuse? Where do that meet? Are they, are they 
are they the same thing? Is one just a complete subset of the other? Or is it important in your own process to distinguish between the two? Would you would you ask the question again? I, I hate to do I misunderstood that. Where's the line between sexual addiction and porn addiction? For those listeners that aren't au fait with the, the language in this space and they're trying to figure out, maybe do a self-diagnosis while they're listening to this show, what, what, is, okay. what is the difference? So sex addiction or compulsive sexual behavior is the umbrella term, and underneath that would be unwanted porn consumption. And one way to look at it is that there's, there's a difference between wanting it and enjoying it. And one thing that will happen as someone progresses down the road towards a compulsive behavior or towards an addiction is that they want it more but enjoy it less. And so that would be one identifier. Interesting. And and is you hear about, I promise that would be the last question before the break, but Dr. Debbie, you hear about love addiction. Where does love addiction fit right. into this spectrum? So, uh, I love that. Sorry, by the way, I have to say, Garrett, I love that. You want it more, but you enjoy it less. I, I am going to use that a lot, if you don't mind. That was wonderful, because that exactly describes addiction. You crave it more and more and more, but you're enjoying it less and less, and it takes more and more of it right. to get to that point to actually get that whatever high it is you're looking for, uh, but then you don't even enjoy it. And that is addiction, where the brain will always, always demand more, and the body will give out. Classically. That resonates exactly for me is. as well. Yeah. Um, a love addict, a love addict, a sex and love addict is more interested in the relationship. Uh, it's the thrill of the chase. It's that high of being in a new relationship where everything is great and everything is, you know, you're looking at the world through rose-colored glasses and he's wonderful and he's amazing and he's the best and you're texting all day and talking all day. It's, it's not so much about the sex, although with sex addiction, it's the fantasy component that drives it also. Addiction is driven by fantasy. Because when you think about it, if you have 50 people in a room and they're quote-unquote partying together, mm-hmm. they're each in their own head, having their own fantasy experience. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with sex addiction or sex and love addiction. Sex addiction can branch off into different paraphilias or different fetishes. Uh, the sex and love addict is constantly changing, uh, chasing that dopamine high of being in love. I want to get to back and, to that over the after the break because I'm still hearing sex okay. and love uh, addict uh, uh, together. You're on equal footing. My guests, Garrett Johnson and Dr. Debbie Ackerman, we're talking about porn addiction in specific, sexual addiction in general, healing, identifying the problem and recovering. We will be right back on equal footing. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is brought to you by DocuVax. Are you a small or medium-sized business owner? You want to provide a low-cost, effective new health benefit for your employees? Maybe you're a school or government administrator needing to ensure that all of your students or employees have the proper vaccines. Or maybe you're just a parent trying to keep all your family's medical records up to date. Welcome to DocuVax, an easy-to-use digital locker accessible on your laptop or smartphone. It allows you to safely store and validate your basic medical information like your immunization records, your lab results, your x-rays, your MRI. MRIs, etc. Gone are the days of losing time tracking down old medical records, sharing test results with a new healthcare provider. 
Get DocuVax. The system covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile from flu, COVID, and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings to your blood type and allergies that you may have. To sign up, go to DocuVax.com. I'm also told their app will be on iOS and Android the next week or so. You can find it there and do DocuVax or call 833-859-1933 for a subscription advisor. That's 833-859-1933. 1933 for as little as 699 per month DocuVax subscribers can privately access all of their medical records from a secure HIPAA compliant digital storage facility and as a DocuVax subscriber you have medical professionals on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records your serology test or anything else in your medical locker DocuVax medical data is never accessible to anyone unless the individual subscriber wants to share it using a proprietary QR code system that keeps your data secure at all times. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood test, or an important preventative screening. Take control of your medical file. You own that information, not your doctor. Sign up at DocuVax.com. And if you're part of a small or medium-sized organization and you're interested in sponsoring your employees, To become DocuVac subscribers, you can get a group discount. Call 833-859-1933. All right, you're back on equal footing. We're talking about porn addiction under the umbrella of sex and love addiction in general. I'm joined by Dr. Debbie Ackerman and Garrett Johnson. We got a number of text questions over the last segment, and we have a caller waiting before we go to audience questions. Uh, Dr. Ackerman, I'm still not understanding as a layperson the difference between a sex and love addict. Is it is it the same thing? And what's the specific difference if I'm trying to diagnose my own situation? Um, <laughs> I, I may be one, maybe both. I don't know. <laughs> Help me. I'll, I'll give you my number. Okay, that you can call. We can, uh, we can have an intake. All right. So sex addiction is, is about fantasy that leads to sexual acts, right? And the sexual act has different components. It can do be anything from porn, and then it can progress to um, massage parlors. It can progress to prostitutes. It can progress to multiple partners. It, 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 the goal is the sex. Really, it's the goal of what leads up to the sex, and once the sex has had the high is kind of gone, but that's really kind of the goal. A love addict, a love addict is called a relationship addict or a romance addiction, and what they're really looking for is what we call the limerence, and the limerence is kind of that word for the initial stage of a romantic relationship. So here, let's the lim- let's The limerence? Limerence, yeah, like a limerence. It's that intensity and that infatuation. Um, so the butterflies. Well, exactly. Do you remember when you first fell in love? Of course. Right? Of, course. of course. You're consumed with it all day. Right. Everything, I mean, the trees are greener and the sky is bluer and, right. and the daffodils are yellower and the Beatles music is just, I mean, it's singing straight to you. And that's what they're addicted to. Here comes to, the right? sun. Yeah. Exactly. Or Michelle Mabel, if your wife's name is Michelle, whatever it is. My right? first and crush, that- Michelle Hoffman. There you go. I knew it. How'd I know it? I told you I'm good at this. So that's what the limerence is. You're, you're consumed by that. But then as quickly as you get that, it dissipates. Mm-hmm. You can never really find the right one. 
You date all the time. You're on every site in the world. Uh, like one example was there was a woman who said, I was on every site, even J-Date. I'm not even Jewish. I'll convert. What's the big deal? But after a few weeks, it gets stale. Right. Because we're looking again at an object and not a person. I think it's so important you made this distinction. I'm sure there are listeners who are saying at this point, oh, this is interesting, but, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, maybe I've never seen porn. Maybe I see it once in a while, or maybe it helps our sex life or in a couple, but uh, it all seems kind of, you know, not, not, not my bailiwick. But when you get into love addiction, I think it's, it, I would imagine it's a much broader group, or at least if it's not broader statistically, it's harder to identify and perhaps the, the impact goes longer before being, having a remedial approach. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can date all the time and you're oh, he's just not the one, she's not the right one. But the one that you meet is always, oh my gosh, this is the one. Now, how does that manifest in terms of addiction? How harmful can that be? Oh, well, this guy just happens to be in Brazil. So I'll just take off two weeks of work, even though I don't have vacation time and spend some money to go to Brazil because this is right. the one. And, so, and, the and, and, and Garrett, society tells you that's okay. I mean, there's like Hollywood constantly, I would even say the religious sources, we'll get back to you, Debbie, in a moment on that front, but that are encourage you to kind of dive into the into the pool when it comes to romantic impulse so it's got to be difficult to identify where you've got a problem right yeah i think you're right one thing i wanted to touch on was you mentioned though you mentioned that you uh one of the arguments you might hear out there is that pornography can help me and my partner within our relationship uh, maybe explore sexuality mm-hmm. and um we hear that a lot and i'm kind of maybe taking a turn here is that okay if i make a statement on that just absolutely please yeah so the the thing i wanted to mention is that julie and john gottman they run the gottman institute out of the northwest here in the united states and um for for a long time they didn't talk to pornography much but um they did write an open letter it's titled the open letter to pornography or on pornography and um in that within that letter one of the quotes that I wanted to mention is that it says that we are led to unconditionally conclude that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. Mm. And so I think it's important that we're talking like about a, a myth buster. Right. Mm. And when the leading experts on relationships are talking about it, uh, it's something to consider. I, I keep wanting to take those. We have some great text questions and take the caller, but I, I can't resist Garrett. So, is there any role, is there any healthy role for pornography? That's kind of like uh, a similar question might be, are there any benefits to smoking? And um, I, I, would, I would argue that, of course, there are some short-term benefits, and that's why people tend to smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that at least start smoking, right? There's, there's a level of, there's a, an activation in the reward pathway, um, but soon after that short-term benefit or that short-term gratification, your brain does need more and more often, um, more hardcore version. You know, you'll start to experience the desensitization or the numbed response to pleasure. And that's, that happens quickly with pornography. So it's a, it's a slippery slope. It can be. Yeah, I, I, I'm tempted to, to go into the issue of love again and whether... There's, I mean, there's got to be a, a healthy place for the that impulse, even if it's compulsive, and even if you know the grass looks greener and the music sounds better. I mean, that's partly what pulls us into, or can pull us in, perhaps should pull us into lifetime relationships. So I guess there, in in some of these areas, there's got to be um, there's got to be a fine line, and and 
Would you agree, Debbie, or or is that also always unhealthy when it's when there's a compulsivity to it? I don't. It's kind of like this. I think anything that's a compulsivity that's going to eventually overtake your life to the point where it's harming other things in your life is never healthy. The problem is that you're not going to know until it hits until your brain. It's too late. You're not born. You're not born with a little index card, right, pink or blue, wrapped in plastic that says, "Please avoid chocolate, wheat, sugar, <laughs> cocaine, uh, you know, sex, meth, and alcohol." Right. You don't know until you begin it, and you don't know what's going to trip your brain. Um, but I did want to kind of point out something that you said that I, I wanted to just kind of clarify. Um, you said that society kind of like promotes, you know, love and dating and sure, like all, all people that want to set people up and all the, the apps for dating. We also promote alcohol. Mm-hmm. We also promote people having sex. You know, you're, oh, wow, look at you. You're so desirable. You're so wanted. Society, definitely, we are the greatest enabling nation on the planet, mm-hmm. right? Alcohol is deemed very beautiful. You go out for a three martini lunch pre-COVID, you've got it made. Right, you go to Stu Leonard's. Those stores are gorgeous. Wine cups, Twizzlers, big cups, small cups, blue drink, pink drink. I mean, everything is really just gorgeous. Mm. So we we definitely enable this behavior in every way, shape, and form. And again, because it's a very complicated combination of biology and environment, that's you don't why, know what. It is. That's why it's so important to tackle these issues openly. It's so complex. 100%. Sometimes when we get into this stuff on the air, I want to say the punchline is see a therapist. <laughs> and, and if you're not willing to see it, because you can see a therapist and you know, maybe nothing's wrong, so to speak, but it can never hurt. Talk to your minister. Talk to your rabbi. If you've got a doubt, if you feel like you might be um, you know, spinning out of control in, in any area, whether it's the, the high of looking for different love, whether it's, it's uh, uh, over, overusing or, or avoiding and coping by using pornography, whatever it might be, um, connect with somebody that can give you 100%. guidance we're very uh, very grateful to stan on line one who's been very patiently waiting let's see if we can get him on the uh, air stan are you there happy happy new year how are you <laughs> happy purim hey good to talk to you as always, as always. Uh, i'm gonna play the devil and i'm gonna play it hard go for with it. all respect go for it to the doctor the one little aspect in her thing that she has not talked about is actually there are two things is the orthodox and I, what I mean by that the orthodox person and I'm not necessarily referring to the doctor who has more than one more than two more than three five it's not you know, it could be any of there's ten children sexuality goes out the door it ain't about sexuality anymore it's about production and then the husband, whoever he may be, seeks real, or as he sees it, dream sexuality online porno. Now, I don't necessarily see that all the time, but I've heard it from that, that's your people. first. That's your first postulate. Do you want to go to your and, second? And, uh, and the second one is that, uh, that women, women are men, are, I don't know if she found it in her purpose, women seek online sexuality as well not just a lot and the and the online sites to a large extent are produced and made by women who run the somewhat of the industry Stan, how always, does she answer these i always appreciate you you bring up the the great questions i love the the uncensored direct approach uh, thank you I, well, I don't like being the devil but tonight a little devil yeah dev, devil's advocate's always good it's part of what and, I, know, and I didn't say the first yeah. part out of disrespect for the no for the i don't doctor. think we took it that way and for the for listeners well, i don't want to take it but 
I think yeah. it's a valid, absolutely valid point. And before we go to the answer, I just want to encourage, if, for other listeners, I mean, sometimes people are really shy. I have a number of text questions here, about half a dozen. I want to try to get to a couple of them. But I, I love the way, Stan, you, it, there's something powerful about when you call in and you ask your You've questions. You've done a great show. You always have great topics. That's why it comes up with great questions. Keep doing that, and I'll keep asking. I appreciate it. I don't know if I'm going to get pulled off the air with these topics. But thank you, Stan. <laughs> don't worry about that. All right. Thanks, Stan. I'll Dr. Ackerman, sorry, I, I think we just lost him there. What's the uh, what's the answer to the first question? That seems to me more complicated in a sense. I love it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so, hi, Stan, and thank you, and thank you for playing the devil. It's forum. You can play whatever you want, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, let me kind of throw you for a loop. On top of the 11 children, I have eight stepchildren, so that would make 19. And so, 11 even children, by, 11 biological children. 11 biologic, eight step. God so bless you. And that's the only math I can do. So anyway, here here's the answer. Um, whether or not you're an Orthodox person and you believe in the quote-unquote productivity and you are going to go by the religious edict of be fruitful and multiply, uh, the religion also speaks very in-depth and, and quite intimately about what a sexual relationship between a man and a woman is. And it is definitely based on intimacy. And I have taught human sexuality, and I have given the Jewish perspective, and a husband and wife are not allowed to be together if there is anger. Mm. It's just not allowed. And so even if you are going to populate the world with 20 and 19 and 18 children, you still are to form an intimate relationship with your spouse. Becoming pregnant does not mean that you haven't had an intimate connection. A pornography addiction, a sex addiction, an addiction to anything, alcohol to drugs to sex, is going to make you a loner, it is not going to allow you to form an intimate relationship with anyone, most notably yourself, because you're squashing your emotions down like in a trash compactor, and then you're dumping something on top of it. And what you're dumping on top of it is your drug of choice, a margarita, a line of Coke, a margarita and a line of Coke, and, and porn, a margarita line of Coke, and several sexual partners. So that's really what it's So the about. moral of the story is the addiction is not going to discriminate between a, a couple that has many children, a couple that has Correct. none. Yeah. Correct. If you want to tell me I'm addicted to having children, I don't know. I mean, I love children. But it's, it's about being able to form a relationship. And when you ask the question of, isn't porn, you know, such a bad thing, and the Gottman Institute, because porn by nature of what it is objectifies people. The other people, people are, are objects. You cannot form an intimacy with an object. Let's get quickly to the second part of the question. Sorry to interrupt you, Debbie, but because we About have these women, text... Uh, yeah, the, I thought that was, the, that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, does, does, is there different, are there different uh, levels of addictiveness gender-wise when it comes to porn addiction? Is it much more prevalent I don't in men? Have, yeah, I don't, you know, it used to be that it was, I, I think, much more a man thing. Uh, I don't know that that's so necessarily true. Uh, Stan would like to also know that 80% of porn, once upon a time, my, when I read it, was viewed at work. So that's a good statistic to know, and I think that a lot of offices kind of knew that with the explosion of the Internet and started to take away private offices and put up lucite, uh, you know, or glass partitions mm -hmm. to kind of take that away. And when you talk about the reward circuit with a phone or a flip phone or a little thing that anybody can get, it's, it, you don't have to have the embarrassment of going to the store and purchasing a Playboy. So it's reward on top of reward on top of reward. Right. So that's Garrett, do you know what the stats are gender-wise? Um, they're hard to get, true stats, but um, according to stuff that I've seen, it's about 28% of online Internet pornography is consumed by women. 
28%. That's actually higher than, than I would have supposed. Garrett, let, let's have you kick off the answer to some of these audience questions. You talked earlier in the show about you having brought deceit into your marriage by not disclosing to your wife your, your porn addiction. And, and now it's been very inspiring to read about your journey and how supported you are by her. And really, it's a journey kind of together. And there's a, a listener is asked who will remain anonymous, um, is asked about the significant other's perspective, assuming that they're not also in an addictive cycle. What should their role be? How can they be supported for, supportive for a loved one or a partner who's dealing with addiction? Um, I think that if you go back to Carl Rogers and the humanistic perspective, he says that he makes a claim that a person needs genuineness, um, acceptance, and empathy, and to reach to to become the best version of themselves. And so, I think the partner, um, the one way they can incorporate some of those attributes or some of those things is uh, genuineness, is openness, and self-disclosure. And so. When a person comes to you and tells you about this challenge, it, there, it, it's tough to give advice because there is so much context involved. Um, but I think that acceptance and empathy are going to be two things that can, uh, can help the individual heal. Um, and the cool thing about our brains is that uh, Dr. Debbie mentioned how amazing our brains are. Um, but one, one of the aspects of the brain that I wanted to touch on real quick and we're talking about recovery is that um, the brain is malleable, it's ever-changing, and so if a person can develop a compulsive sexual behavior, then that same person with effort and some right circumstances can also rewire their brain back to a healthy state. And so I kind of just mm-hmm. want to spread some hope to those people, yeah. those partners, um, yeah. And you hear this, whether you're, whether you're talking about this form of chemical addiction, uh, porn addiction, or drugs, or, or alcohol, uh, even self-harm, that the first reaction, if you really want someone to recover, is not rejection. It is acceptance of the person you love and their struggle. Uh, there's a follow-up, actually, here. Live, live. Two seconds, do you mind? Can I interject for a second? Go ahead. I think that that's wonderful, and I think what Garrett has kind of said encompasses what I typically work with couples for about three to four years. Um, people who live with people that have addiction are really angry at them, very angry. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of dysfunction in that relationship. And when you talk about sex addiction, when the drug is actually another human being, whether online or in person, the amount of anger and betrayal and rejection is overwhelming, and you have to move through those paces. So the thing that I would say to somebody, 100%, I'm Carl Rogers, I'm a humanist all the way, but the co-addict or the co-dependent, and gosh, more than 9.9% of out of 10 times, the person that has a disease of addiction is married to somebody who has a disease of codependency. That person has to get into recovery themselves. I'm so glad you, you, that was almost scripted because right as you started to speak, Debbie, the person who asked that question anonymously followed up live uh, as, as she was listening and said, uh, I, I have a follow up. I understand, but at what point do I have to draw my own boundaries? And I think that's the what we're getting to. The minute, because people who have addiction always, this is God's sense of humor, always find people that have codependence. And if the couple has to recover individually and then together. And this right. takes years. There's no quick fix. Is there hope? A million percent. 
but you're talking about a very long process of doing your own individual work and then coming together and working the coupleship. Right, okay. There's, there's a ton of there's a huge amount of rage, and it has to get processed out. I'm so glad this is coming up because there, I'm sure there are many listeners who are dealing with that in in a relationship setting, or it doesn't have to be a love one, a, 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 a love partner. It could be a friend or a, a, a colleague. And, and Garrett, that is why for every twelve step program, there's an anon for sex right. addiction. There's anon for alcohol AA. There's al anon. Call immediately. And so start these your are own these account. are anonymous support systems for folks that that either are addicted or or or, or have a loved one who's addicted. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me do a quick plug here before we're going to go to our last break in a minute. We'll have one more question for you, Garrett. Before we do, uh, a listener, who's a regular listener, um, writes in and just wants to mention that there is a great sex and love addiction anonymous support group countrywide that meets every day, and it's s l a a f w s dot org. That's s like Sam l a another a f w s dot org, and it stands for Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and it, it welcomes both addicts and loved ones of addicts. So I appreciate that listener writing that in. And, and to the issue of the, the, the journey as a couple, Garrett, one more question before we go to our last break and wrap up here. And this this uh, listener, is uh, I'm going to call him Jeffrey from Chicago, uh, also wishes to remain uh, anonymous, connects with the uh, – my question connects with the issue of infidelity, which I feel is a necessary stage for married people to transition from one spouse to another, I assume, you know, upon divorce or separation. How do we know that you are really in love or just going through a love addiction cycle since your current spouse can no longer provide you with that Michelle Mybel adrenaline? Who's answering that? Garrett. Um, I think that... Uh Honestly, I think Dr. Debbie's more qualified. I'm I'm not a professional. I just act as a research aggregate here at Fight the New Drug. Go for it. And I Debbie. have a personal I have a personal answer, but I think she's probably more qualified to answer this one. Both of you. Yeah, I like. Well, I just go ahead, Dr. W, and then I'll follow up if there's time. I think that's what kind of separates out when you get married. You take you have commitment, and there was a wonderful researcher uh, called uh, Dr. Sternberg who kind of broke down marriage into its components friendship, attraction, and commitment. And he actually takes those three things and makes a rubric of if you have one and three or one or two or two or three or one and three and what type of relationship you're going to have. I think the very notion of marriage, that you are committing to someone, really means that you are going to, I would think, try to work it and work the problem until you can't work it anymore. And this is coming from somebody who's divorced and remarried. And, and so I think that that's what kind of what it is. If you are married and you claim to love your spouse and you want to make it work, but you have this, again, compulsion mm-hmm. that you cannot stop to go after multiple partners or multiple other avenues of excitement, and that is either a drink, a drug, or a person, or food, or gambling, mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to start to look the at difference that. between it being a healthy dopamine rush that's something that enriches Correct. your life versus something that you need and you're using to cope you and you're function. dependent on. You, you can't function without it, right. and you're not really functioning anyways, right? Because you want it, but it's not doing anything for you. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to do just a quick plug because I don't want to uh, lose our last co- our last minute here. I have a, 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 another couple of last comments. The, 
Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is also brought to you by the Vorontsov Law Firm, uh, which deals with all sorts of legal services from bankruptcy protection, debtors and immigration services, real estate closing, preparations of wills, trusts, and more. You can reach them by calling 212-295-5838. If you're in the New York area, you can also go to vlf.law. That's the Vorontsov Law Firm. And just tell them you heard about them on Equal Footing and you get a free consult which has real value. So call them. We're going to have to wrap up. Uh, last question here. Uh, I'm gonna, it's going to be through a listener. We just have about 30 seconds. I am a female sex addict. I don't know where to go for treatment that is safe. Where can I go? Well, um, you need a therapist. Uh, it's wonderful that you know that this is what it is. Um, you can look on a uh, number of sites, depending on where you are. You can call different organizations. Um, Dove, if uh, the person wants to contact me and I can help them resource, my pleasure, depending on what area you are, but there is help available. We're going to put in the show notes the mask organization that you're involved yep. with, Dr. Ackerman. We're going to yep. put Fight the New Drug uh, also in the show notes. Garrett Johnson, Dr. Debbie Ackerman, thank you so much for talking about thank this important you. issue. And Really, uh, thank you. Great. God bless. Yeah, thank you, and thank you to all the questions. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Well,